Former sports journalist and current Blaze TV contributor Jill Savage joins us this week, painting in bold colors to contrast the leadership of presidential candidate Ron DeSantis on the national stage versus the moral weakness of too many Tennessee political leaders. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Marines hymn, or what is that? I don't know. No, guess again. No, Kevin. I feel, and I feel like this is one that I'm like un-American for not knowing. Because <laughs> it does sound American, <laughs> right? doesn't it? That just reeks of Americanism. Um, our guest, Jill. Any idea? Do what you know this what is? this is? Uh, no, but it does nope. sound completely American. One hundred percent Americana. Don't you don't you feel unpatriotic I, well, for I, not even knowing? I feel ready for battle. Okay, oh, yes, okay, yes. that's good. What so a good response. The title of this song is "The White Cockade," and um, it's a song that every. So this is my favorite time of year, from Memorial Day weekend to Fourth of July. It's like the most American of American times of year. You wear your red, white, and blue. Look, my socks. Nice. Right. Got my socks today. Like got my red, white, and blue got shoes. Your hat. Got my even my Pittsburgh Penguins hockey hat is in red, white, and blue today. So it's the most American of American times of year. So every Memorial Day and Fourth of July, I would put this on to wake up my children. <laughs> um, and th- so they'll appreciate that. I'll, Man, I'll, growing up in Kevin's house, that that had to be quite interesting. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Why didn't I ever get this? No kidding. Well, everybody gets there at one time or another. You can do it for your own children, right? I got it kind of, but not to that extent. The one thing I will add before we shift into an introduction of our guest is that my children, my distinguishing children anyway, will probably recognize that that's not the same arrangement of this song that they've been listening to all their lives. I couldn't find the same one, so I sent Mr. Producer a different version, but same song. White cockade. Nice. Well, I definitely would not have guessed that name. Who's who's the the author? Don't ask me the composer. composer. I don't know. And it's yeah. got to be public domain at this point since it's right. been played since at least 1776. So, Kevin, are you? Do you have like an intro prepared? For well, our guest, I or? I do. If you could introduce Jill by name and kind of background, I do have uh, something I want to talk about because I I looked at a post that she had made on Twitter recently, and I wanted to use that to kind of give us the framework for our discussion. Well, I'm sure there are folks that listen to our podcast that may find her voice strangely familiar. Really excited to have Blaze TV contributor Jill Savage on the show today. And I know she is a frequent guest of one of my favorite podcasts, Steve Dace. I've, that's how I actually, I've, that's how I was introduced to you. I've, I've like, Joseph, who's that? The Dace Group. Wow, I want to be on the Dace Group. That's awesome, you know. <laughs> so it was, it, yeah, it was really cool. Um, just growing up in Iowa, listening to Steve Dace forever. You know, just he was a local radio guy, and then he kept his star just kept rising and rising, and eventually he lands a show at on Blaze TV and. Um, yeah, I I had just networked with him for so long and eventually just became a regular contributor on the Dace Group. And I think it's the coolest job ever because I really am just one of the members of the audience Yeah, and now get to be on the show all the time. And Do now, you, 
Go ahead. I was just going to ask, is your name any relation to Jessica Savage? No. Remember Jessica Savage from the, the 70s and 80s? I think it was CBS. Everybody right? asks, though. <laughs> And, and Fred and Ben, the Wonder Years. Oh yeah, no, that's not, right. Not them Fred either. Fred Savage. Sorry, Gary. Well, and as much of a fan uh, as I am of Blaze TV and and Steve and all of that, um, I, for, there's a larger reason for me personally that I invited Jill to be on the show with us, and that's because Jill is you're here in Tennessee. You're a Tennessean. I yeah. transplant. I yeah. am for uh, for just over a year. I have lived in the great state of Tennessee, and. I've lived in a couple red states. I've lived in a couple blue states. But the last three states that I was in was Arizona, Texas, and Tennessee. So you're moving eastward. Are you going to stop in Tennessee? Yeah. Or are you keep the, going to the. I always say what, if well, I got what to, else is there? I know. Right? Unless I, you go to Florida, yeah. right? If I got to Tennessee first, I never would have left. Right. That that would have just been like that. That would have been the end. Yeah. Uh, but there was a whole sports TV career on the West Coast before the political right. TV career started in Texas and Tennessee. So. so weren't you on the West Coast in Oregon? I see some duck stuff in there. I was, yeah. So the Chip Kelly Oregon football years, I hosted everything radio, okay. TV, digital for for them. And that was a great time to uh, to be covering the Oregon Ducks. They went so, to two national championship games oh, wow. in that span. So. so you went to a Big Ten school, right? Didn't go, you go to— Go Hawks. Yeah. Um, and then you worked in the Pac-10, although there's Pac-10 is not really going to be— I guess it became Pac-12, didn't it? It yeah. did, yeah. Um, I See, it shows you how old I am. When I was growing up, it was still Pac-10. But I hear you. Big 10 is kind of a misnomer because there's 14 and soon be 16 teams, and then it'll include um, Oregon and Washington as well in a couple of years. So. And for me, all I care about is the SEC. Nothing else exists. Uh, <laughs> I'm a <laughs> Penn State fan. You know that. This Sorry. was part of Gary and I's first conversation, like the first minute I was like, LSU, and he's like, yeah, you know it. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So here's my intro. <clears throat> I was in, in preparing for today's um, podcast. I looked at your Twitter feed and found a fantastic recording from 2021 that Jim Caviezel had. He was giving a speech at a, at a Christian event somewhere. It's like God and Country. I uh, just saw in the background 2021. And the reason I clicked on that thing in particular was because he was doing like an updated version of Ronald Reagan's famous A Time for Choosing speech, which mm -hmm. is the one that he gave in 64 when he was supporting um, uh, Barry Goldwater, and that really launched his political career. And I love that speech so much. I've used it in events. I have uh, trained my children on different parts of it, like when he got to the um, part where he talks about Churchill says, the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn that we are spirits and not animals. And then he said, there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which whether he likes it or not, spells duty. So I love that, but Caviezel took it and he, he took the Reagan speech and made it more specific to our time, right, where he was targeting what's happening internally more than externally as far as our enemies go, not that we don't have external enemies. And it, it brought, here's the framework. The, the thing that people have so missed about Ronald Reagan's genius over the years is that it's often been said that Reagan was great as a communicator because of his years in Hollywood, and he was an actor and all of that. But if you read Ronald Reagan and if you see the true influence he has, and even his own words, it has more to do with what he was saying and that he was believing what he said. And the, the story is about when Reagan was, when Gorbachev was, and, and the other uh, Russian Soviets at the time were trying to think about how in the world they're going to deal with this, you know, crazy Ronald Reagan that they were afraid of. Um, 
it came out much in years later, after we had already won the Cold War, it came out that the Russians or the Soviets had said that even though they didn't agree with Ronald Reagan, they knew that he was firmly convicted and believed in what his position was. And that's what scared them because they knew that they couldn't just, he wasn't a squish, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and the framework for that was, so here's, I'm holding up a picture. Here we are, Theater of the Mind. Um, there's this great, this would have been in the days when he was supporting Rockefeller. So about the time he would have given that time for choosing speech. And you, you, mean, have Gold, Ronald, you mean Goldwater? I'm sorry, what did I say? Rockefeller. I I was like, uh, oh my gosh, we just need to edit that what? out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for catching that. Barry Goldwater. Did I say Rockefeller earlier you, too? No. No, okay. just, you said Goldwater. Just this one. Yeah. Uh, so the, the picture is Ronald Reagan on the left of the podium, Barry Goldwater on the right side of the podium. And the podium has, or the lectern has a, uh, a little poster on it. And the poster says, Freedom Under God, which is remarkable because we... How many governors today would be willing to put that on their lectern, right? Mm. This is the foundation. This is the principle of American order, right? Our liberty exists because we understand the created order, and we understand that absent a God—I I, I said it before, and uh, in, in we had a guest—that our founders understood that absent moral order in the soul, right? Order in the soul, moral order. You couldn't have constitutional order. You couldn't have the structure of government— the government was not made for a people who were not religious, who did not have virtue. This theme of, of freedom under God has been abandoned in the last 20, 30, really in my lifetime. I'm 55, and, and in that lifetime, I've seen it go from the moral force of a Ronald Reagan to merely economics and talking about tax cuts and all of these superficial things. The Chamber of Commerce Republicans. Yeah, exactly. So I'm inspired to have you here, Jill, because— if you posted something like that, the Jim Caviezel speech, which gets to my heart because, what do they say, the, the way to a man's uh, heart is through his stomach, well, the way to Kevin Kukaji's heart is always some good Ronald Reagan clip, then I'm excited to have you here and hear what you have to say. I have a time for choosing burned on a CD in my car and play it frequently. The mm-hmm. very first day that I went in as a Blaze TV contributor, I played that on the way in because I was like, there's nothing else that it's will very, get me. It's a very gen- generational identifying statement burned on a CD. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, also, uh, my 20-year high school reunion is this weekend, which I will not be attending. So that that's where I am. Okay. Um, but yeah, Ronald Reagan, uh, Reagan in his own words, all of these different things. I grew up sitting next to my dad, so it was sports, history, and politics, right? Mm -hmm. That's where this all comes from. And just was blessed to go through and learn and really just study and understand what that time period was like, what how Ronald Reagan was attacked in the media, and to have that knowledge going through as I grew up into a teenager in my 20s and my 30s and seeing what they would do all along to, you know, Republican candidates right. and and just to learn and understand that and, and frame my worldview. Um, and you didn't need Donald Trump to come along and say, oh, you can't trust the media. No, I've known this since I was, you know, right. like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So this isn't anything new to me. But um, yeah, Ronald Reagan, every, there are so many people out there that say, oh, we need to distance ourselves. Ronald Reagan, why are you <laughs> clinging to Ronald Reagan? And it's because he truly believed what he was saying. Right. It wasn't just talking points. It wasn't just, oh, you know what I can do? I can come out and pick a topic and, oh, it'll be the border and right. people will jump and gravitate mm-hmm. towards yep. me. It was a full, coherent worldview mm-hmm. from a man who had thought deeply about these issues. Yep. And so studied conviction. them deeply. Yeah. 
and and they he understood the moral foundation, right? It wasn't just an economic. It wasn't a anything that's at the superficial level. He was very obviously he signed the largest tax cut in the in American history, but that was driven by his moral convictions. I started a. Uh... There's a series on Daily Wire I just started uh, kind of watching last night on the the history of the Cold War. And it starts out with the Iron Curtain and some clips from before World War II on Winston Churchill. And some of. The, and I'm like, you know, there was just something about men that stood with conviction, you know, what they had mm-hmm. to say. I think that's um, – I said that Winston Churchill was World War II, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, he okay. was. Just making sure. I was like – even though he fought in World War One, yeah. yes, he was a yeah. Well, I, there's so many different ways we can go, and I'm, I think we'll get to to Tennessee maybe a little bit later in the podcast. But clearly, the hot the hot topic right now is the presidential announcement from Ron DeSantis on Twitter, which which Jill, I was just before the I was just saying, you know, it was interesting because I had. I didn't plan this, and I really didn't plan to talk about this because I had no idea that when I would be listening to this announcement on these, the Twitter spaces with Elon Musk on Wednesday, that Steve Dace's name would pop up, and he was part of the 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 announcement. See, you should not have been surprised, Gary. It's Steve Dace. It's not like it's— Well, I know, but I mean, it's like, okay— Point taken, Steve. Uh, forgive if your or my That's, name would have popped the up, way, then you would have been shocked. Would have been, no, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it was just really, really great to see his name there and Steve being given that that platform because I think he deserves it. But anyway, so now we're into the DeSantis and Trump wars, and uh, but Steve has really, really dove all into that conversation. And I know you've been on his show last couple of days, or at least since that. So what what are you kind of seeing and experiencing in, on on that front at the aftermath of the the Twitter spaces? Yeah, the overtime uh, on Steve's show on Thursday was all about uh, the DeSantis you know announcement, mm-hmm. and then Steve had uh, DeSantis on his show, and we reacted to that as well. So just the overall thoughts on you know, of course, everybody with with the glitches and everything could have gone better. Yes, we we all acknowledge that but because there was so much interest. Of course. And they said that the the technological stuff behind the scenes is Elon Musk is, you know, the most followed person on Twitter and they were adding 100,000 people every minute mm. and the servers were freaking out because they couldn't handle that much yeah. all at one time and they said, "Oh, but look at Elon already had 3 million people with a BBC, you know, UK interview whatever that was." Um but they didn't all try to get there at, at 5 at p.m. central yeah. right. time. Right. So it was everybody trying to figure mm-hmm. out what Ron DeSantis was going to say in that yeah. excitement that literally crashed Twitter. Now I would use Isn't that, that a good thing and say when, that's yeah. incredible yeah. that so many people were interested in what he had to say. Yeah. And Joe Biden had the record before this for the most fundraising in 24 hours at over $6 million. And Ron DeSantis was able to come out with 8.2 8. mm. yeah. million in the first that's, 24 that's hours. That's one of those cornbread. <clears throat> no kidding. And it's funny to me because I will I will always go back to this. Donald Trump is attacking Ron DeSantis. Vivek is attacking Ron DeSantis. Nikki Haley is attacking Ron DeSantis. So who do you think the front runner is right, right now? Yeah. Who, do you who do they have to attack? Hmm. And they, they are trying to get it to the point where Donald Trump will be the inevitable candidate. Well, if you're so inevitable, then why do you have exactly. to go out and tear somebody else down? Mm-hmm. 
right? To me, I just play these psychological games through my head to the logical conclusion and say, no, you might have the internal polling right now on your side because, Ron, we're only how many hours away Mm -hmm. from, you know, he had just announced and officially jumped in. Our guy, Steve Dace, nobody knows polling in Iowa better than Steve. And he came out at 22% in Iowa. And Steve goes, oh, we can work with that number. If that's what he's at Mm -hmm. right now, we have a a big, big number to start this and away they will go. Because you just look at the influential people back there in Iowa. And I think that everybody, you have to look at where we are. The Bob Vanderplatz that you you hear so often on the Steve show. Mm -hmm. 2015, 2016, the country is completely different than it was the last time that Trump was a general mm-hmm. pop candidate. That's true. Completely different. Yep. And he thinks that he can just run and do the same things. But now as a, a former president, you can't you don't get the luxuries of just saying all the things that you want to say and attacking another sitting governor. People people didn't like it when Trump came out and said, oh, Ron is sanctimonious the first time there was right. blowback <clears throat> in a way that Trump hadn't seen before. Yeah, these things. Uh, Gary and I were talking about that this morning, actually, the types of of accusations and the labeling, you know, which Trump is famous for, mm-hmm. right? Because I, as I said, I was state chair for Ted Cruz for president. And Lion it was after, Ted. Yes, that happened after <laughs> Iowa. Yeah. Iowa was Ted That's Cruz's, right. his, his Waterloo. It was his high mark and it was his Waterloo all at the same time because ever since that point, he became Lion Ted and it stuck. But you can't say something like Ron DeSanctimonious and have it stick because there's nothing credible about it. What do you make, though, of the fact, if you were so, Jeff Rowe is is um is he his campaign manager or is he's his general consultant? He's somewhere up in the echelon, right? Yes. So Jeff Rowe did Ted Cruz's campaign, so I know Jeff Rowe well, and I remember those days. Uh, Jeff Rowe actually is a pilot. Can you can you picture Jeff Rowe flying a, his own plane? <laughs> it's just amazing. No, Jeff, it's that's it, not disparaging. That's meant to like I'm impressed. Like he and I have talked about because I used to fly and I'd talk about that. What do you think if you're Jeff Rowe? And you're advising DeSantis on his approach to Trump, knowing that he's going to need the Trump voters, right, to come his way. How do you take the fight to Trump without making it personal, right? Trump makes everything personal. How do you do that? Or what what would you do if you were in Jeff Rose's position speaking into DeSantis or if you're on a DeSantis campaign, helping him um, kind of do that so he doesn't abandon? Because I'll say one more thing and then I'll let you talk. I get the feeling, and Gary, maybe you do too, or correct me if I'm wrong, there are a lot of Trump supporters who I've heard and read say, I will never support Ron DeSantis. And they seem to be almost vicious about it. And I'm like, really, this is what we're, is this what we're trying to pull from? Because we're going to have to for a general election, right? I look at it, and if I were advising anybody on Ron DeSantis's team, stay in your own lane as long as possible because Ron is running on the issues and Trump Mm -hmm. is running on personality. You are not going to win a personality battle against Donald Trump. Good advice. The first debate should be sometime in August. Run on the issues until then. And I would act like Donald Trump doesn't exist. I wouldn't say his name. I wouldn't bring him up. I would do my own thing as long as humanly possible, mm-hmm. because then you can say, oh, I didn't attack him. I didn't attack right. the Trump, you know, the, the yep. Trump persona. While you can still go after COVID and everything else, because the, the thing that Ron DeSantis has going for him is he has already appointed the grand jury mm-hmm. in Florida yep. to look after the COVID issues. Exactly. And on, he a, can, on a criminal basis. On a yeah. criminal basis. And he can say, 
the grand jury in Florida, he doesn't have to say Donald Trump's failures, right? There's a com- there's a complete difference where you don't have to say his name, but everybody knows what you're talking about. And he can point to the distinctions, two areas where he has made, I mean, there's a lot of things he's done in Florida, which are great. And everybody knows that his record speaks for itself. But the two areas where he can be chiefly distinguished from Donald Trump are, as you point out, vaccines and the the whole um what was the program called the rush to operation, operation warp, speed. warp speed operation yeah. warp speed the which, fastest fda vaccine ever right, which which donald trump in my view would be would have been so much better if he just admitted it was a mistake instead of doubling down so that's one issue right are and we th- talking about the same guy <laughs> yeah i know I'm, but yeah. I'm, I'm saying politically we know that would have been that very advantageous been yeah and he the, won't do it the second thing is CBDC, right? Digital currency, which again, Ron DeSantis in Florida, just like he's done with vaccines, he's advocated for liberty. He said yep. any kind of central digital currency is not going to be permitted in Florida. We're going to kind of put a fence, you know, a wall around Florida to protect our consumers from that. What do you think? Which, which that part or that point, I should say, was also uh, a, a fairly large piece of the discussion on the, the Twitter event. Yeah, to the New York Times, they were like, oh, nobody cares about digital currency. And everybody's like, wait, yes, we do. <laughs> except, except the guy running except for president. For freedom lovers <laughs> yes. out there. And I think it's interesting because Ron DeSantis and RFK Jr. have both come out for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. anti-digital yep. dollars. And Trump was like, no, I don't like Bitcoin. You know, who who cares about that? He, there are former tweets because there's a tweet for everything mm-hmm. from from Trump. <laughs> a tweet for everything. They tweet for everything. Um, but that is it's a it's going to be a huge talking point for Ron DeSantis as to say, do you care if the government tracks every single purchase? Right. If yes. You, <laughs> Very <Yeah>. much so. <laughs> we all do. And there there will be those people. Oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't care if the government knows. Think it through. Yes, you, you absolutely will care. And the fact that they came out and tried to push for uh, knowing anything over $600 oh, yeah. and this 87,000 new IRS agents coming along, like... There's a very clear roadmap of where they want this right. to all go. And there are a very few number of people that are willing to stand up and stand in the way and, you know, bless them for doing so. One more point on this, and then I, I'd really like to move on to some Tennessee stuff, but I, I'd i love to hear your thoughts on I find it really incredible that there are people that were very, very close to Trump, loyal to Trump, working with Trump that are now with DeSantis on the issues. And, and that, that's one of the things that I find sort of incredible. And it that sort of set me on my heels and caused me to sort of really consider where my support is going to lie. And as an example, one of the things that Steve brought out when he was asking DeSantis questions, he brought up the border. He brought up the fact that, you know, we heard about drain the swamp and all these things. Well, no, And none of that really happened. It was just said. And in the midst of of challenging Trump's, I guess we should say, lack of success on the border, the following day, he's got Ken Cuccinelli on the show, who was Trump's border czar. If if anybody would know what is happening at the border and or what happened under Trump, it would be this guy. And he's on Team DeSantis now talking about how he believes DeSantis really has the ability to execute on the plan to stop the flood of illegal immigration at the border. So thoughts on that. And and by the way, 
Ken Cuccinelli happens to be one of the foremost intellectuals on the issues of border now. Like, he, you know, he was attorney general, so he's he's got a legal background, but he has spent so much time and he came up with this whole policy for how Arizona had Carrie Lake one could have stopped the invasion. It's a constitutional approach. He's brilliant about it. So you're right, Gary, to your point, when someone of that quality of character and skill says, I'm Ron DeSantis, I look at Ron DeSantis and I formed a some of my best opinions on him came from a long form interview with Glenn Beck on his just, you know, like Saturday podcast that he has. And Ron systematically went through as governor, put a team together and said, what powers do I have as governor at every single level? And Mm -hmm. they suspended some of the district attorneys there in the state of Florida. And they would go and he would go through and say, "Okay, this is where there's a weakness. Attack it. Mm -hmm. We can own this from an executive order and do it well. Attack that right now. And then we'll pass legislation on it and keep it in there. But he had an approach of saying, we're going to use all of the government powers that this governorship has in the state of Florida to make it as red as possible while we have the majority and ram things through, right? Like, if if we are all about actual advancing of our policies and principles through legislation, Ron DeSantis is your guy. And because, because Trump is a guy who has put together a team of people who were in it for themselves more, just to make a name for themselves. It felt like more than... He made some really bad hires. Exactly. I would say that was one of the biggest weaknesses of the Trump presidency is he had to go through so many different people to potentially find the right one. And even though he came through and like the the JFK files were released, and I had a tweet about that because he said, oh, I will release all of the JFK files. And we had done a Steve Day show you know, segment on that. And I remember reading it from October of 2017. Mm-hmm. There was a headline, Trump... I will release all of the JFK files. Okay, but you said you said that as president and you right. didn't do it. And all the, you know, mm. the, I call them the Trump Twitterati. And they came at me and they were like, but you don't, you don't understand. There are other people getting in his way. <laughs> but he's the president. And I said, well, I didn't hire the director of the CIA. Trump did. Blame him. Mm. Put a guy in there that you know is going to follow through with the policy decisions that you want. And I think that's where, you know, just using the powers that you have and making sure that you have that system in place, that's what I'm looking forward to. So let me make one distinction that I think you'd like to be made, um, or clarification. When you were talking about using the power of the government while you have the power, right, yeah. supermajority, uh, I want to be clear that if you look at the what DeSantis used that power for, it was actually to free individual citizens, right? Yes. Anything he could do to quash all the things that are killing liberty, quash corporatism, uh, fees for our friends, right? As our friend Catherine Fitz told us, anything. So it's really important because we're not talking about expanding our power, expanding the size of the government. No, we're using government power to eliminate government power. Amen. Right? Yeah. To, uh, if we can, you know, I think that our intellectual thought process would be to make government as small as possible. And that's our our definition of success. Well, what I appreciate about his answer is whenever he said, look, I I want to defend liberty. People elected me to protect these rights. And he said the first the first thing that I did to 
find out what I can do as governor is I, I went and I, I read the Constitution mm-hmm. to see. And he said, I read the federal. He said, I, I read our state Constitution. What does the Constitution allow me to do as governor? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. What? Other people don't do yeah, that? No. No, they, they don't. don't. So, you know, kind of parlaying that into Tennessee and all of the incredibly unconstitutional things we have done in Tennessee and are now contemplating and doing in Tennessee. There was a a letter, this is sort of national news, you know, we, we maybe we're trying to prevent what seems to be imminent, this special session that the governor has called for to address, quote unquote, gun violence and institute public his, safety. That's right. Uh, because the guns are the ones that are pulling the right. triggers. We've got to keep people. We've got to keep people safe. That's our. That's our role as the government, right? So, calling a special session. Uh, he he has a a version of uh, they call them emergency protection orders. It's it's red flag law. So what it is, and um, there's been a lot of pushback from the legislature, thankfully. But this is national news now because the governor is still marching down this path. We had a a letter released by Representative Brian Ritchie asking other legislators to sign on to ask the governor to call this off, stop this nonsense. And unfortunately, we we haven't seen, you know, we've got 132 legislators in the state of Tennessee, and I think I've seen four signatures, maybe five. five now. Okay. And so the State Freedom Caucus organization, Andy Roth, has come on board. The Daily Wire did a piece. Uh, Which, so our audience knows, that's 11 different states have championed this, said, congratulations, you know, good on you, Tennessee, for doing this. More people need to sign. So the nation is watching. The nation is watching. And so, you know, I I think, Jill, you being here in Tennessee, but also sort of having an, a national footprint and a national perspective, what do you think the message is right now, not only that our governor in Tennessee is sending to the rest of the nation? Because the governor likes to say, in fact, in his state of the state this year, the theme was Tennessee leading the nation. Uh, so, <laughs> In so, what? <laughs> in what? I don't know. And and what do you think the message from is, is, from some of these conservatives are to, to our governor that, that do look at, at Tennessee in some regards, as a city on a hill in terms of conservative values. Well, let's start with the State Freedom Caucus, the fact that they came into the state of Tennessee and said there's not even enough mm-hmm. here Hello. to start a chapter here. Uh, that is one of the goals here of, yep. of getting getting enough representatives to have a foothold yep. that we can start something like the State Freedom Caucus <clears throat> and I was in at, Tennessee. And, and I was at that meeting last year, a year and a half ago, when Andy came down and there were legislators there and a couple of days later when he said, no, we can't do this, it proved what we thought was the case. You know, he, he was like, if you want a Freedom Caucus, you have to show the courage to do the things that we believe. You have to show the courage of your convictions, not just say, oh, I didn't vote for a bill that you knew was going to pass anyway. It's having the courage to come out and whip the rest of the representatives or senators to get on it, to confront the governor, to, to be out in front and you're right, Andy saw too many, and the, the State Freedom Caucus saw too many, um, what do we call them, backbenchers, right? And, um, sorry. To use a quote from uh, our buddy Ronald Reagan, uh, it feels like there's a lot of pale pastels mm-hmm. in the of state of Tennessee. That's what it feels like to me. Again, Arizona, Texas, Tennessee. There's a lot of similarities, and I am just looking for that bright red and we're just not there. Kind of pink, in, aren't we? Yeah, kind of pink. Yeah, it, it really is. Like, it's it's really good. 
I would say that Tennessee is still better in my mind than than it was when I was living in Texas. Greg Abbott is, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we we declare an invasion on our southern border. And, Use and, the and words, we, and but we, doesn't And act. we don't do anything. Man, yeah. there's an invasion. You better do something if you're going to stand up and say something like that. But when it comes to the red flag laws, like, unfortunately, you know, covenant happened in the month of March. They were still in session at that point. The legislation could have come out and said, mm-hmm. this is what we are going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And now the governor just waited, okay, we're going to have a special session then because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And yes, they will have to come in and they will have to show up, but they aren't required to do right. anything. And I think that is where, you know, the the people can go in. And I've been to a couple of different, you know, GOP county, you know, events lately. And there are a lot of people that are upset that are telling their representatives in those rooms, we do not want any red flag laws. And and they are very receptive and they say, hey, we we aren't for it either, just so you all know. But the fact is they have to show up. They have to be there. I I I don't there's not there's not a, a huge rallying cry beyond just the governor saying, I want you to do this in that, the state. That's the problem. It's it's, it's the it's governor crazy. and the left. Yes. Yeah. That's the battle cry mm-hmm. for yes. this this bill. Not conservatives. And the concern is what's happening behind closed doors. We know that the governor's inviting all of these legislators to try to twist their arm and and this these are not my words, but what I read in one of the articles was that the expectation is that the governor is going to be saying, hey, if you don't go along with this, I'm going to do something to the funding in your district or reallocate it. Right. All the all the political arm twisting that goes on. So this is our concern. There's so much time. And Gary and I talked about it last week. Aside from the physical danger, right, the violence, the threats of terrorism that have been made by the left to, in their own words, to F the place up, right? That's mm-hmm. what they're, they're pl- they've told us. Yep. That's what they're planning to do. So you have that element. And then in between that and, and between now and August 21st, almost three full months, you have these legislators who are being cajoled, arms twisted, you know, all this. They should just come out. They should make the statement. Mm-hmm. A, we we disagree with this, and if you call us into session, tell the governor right now we're going to adjourn, and no, I'm not going to meet with you. Why would a legislator who disagrees with this position even take a meeting with the governor? Right. Well, I was I was told by someone I really respect, well, because I want a seat at the table. And, uh, oh, the old seat at the table. I and, want the invitation to the D.C. parties. Yeah. This is everybody on Capitol uh, Hill, right? This is why we hate it, is stuff like this. It's, it's why we can't have a Freedom Caucus. <laughs> you know, it's it's not about the seat at the table. It's about, mm-hmm. what is it, Kevin? We don't have plans. We have principles. Exactly. See, that's the mm-hmm. problem. Jill, do you think it, it might be reasonable to assert that, let's just say, God forbid, since we're leading the nation, right, if Tennessee folds on this issue, I mean, are we opening the door for other state legislatures to consider a, a move like this? If if Tennessee passes red yeah. flag laws, then yeah. other states will yeah. look to do so because they'll say, oh, look, Tennessee's red. They did it. Mm-hmm. This must be this, a red thing. This must be what the people want now. No. Yeah. If you give them a crack in the door, at some point in the future, someone will come along and they will crush and beat down that door. And it will, not only will every other state be put under the similar pressure, but everything that happens in Tennessee will now be governed by 
the mob, the crowd. Hey, uh, legislature didn't pass a bill we want. Bring a crowd, intimidate the, the governor. Will call a special session, and boom, we get what we want. And I will say to that, uh, to that end, on August twenty first, when they have the special session, some of these uh, GOP legislators were asking if the GOP supporters will come out and show up at the Capitol, but but in a in, in a different way, just nope. to put seats in there, just so that you can't have all. It's it's going to be all leftists otherwise. Right. I, yeah, but I, I'll, I'll just I'd be tell concerned you, for my safety. Yeah, I'll just I'll just tell you as as a, I think a leader of at least one of the I'm safe I'm I'm safe saying that one of the largest grassroots organization in our state. I I'm I can't in good conscience ask people to show up with their families, you know, at that event because I know what's coming. Mm-hmm. I know, and I know, I also know it's this isn't going to be. A tennis. This is. These aren't a bunch of Tennesseans. These are going to be violent leftists bust in from God knows where. And I'm sorry. I'm not going to ask for people to put themselves and their families. the The root is, in my mind, not whether or not people are going to show up. The root is the governor of the state of Tennessee, mm-hmm. and and he is he is leading us down an incredibly bad path. And I'll I'll say this in terms of um something you mentioned. <clears throat> Again, since we're leading the nation and all, which, which to some degree, I keep saying that, but but to some degree, I think we, I do believe we are right in in conservative values, which is why I fight so hard for us to really be conservative. And unfortunately, again, to Andy Roth's point about not having the fight, you know what I I'll tell you the mantra I hear so often when I'll, I'll approach. We've been fighting for medical freedom, you know, a lot here in this state, and yes. I'll give the legislature a little bit of credit. They in 2021 we had a special session. We passed a bill that restricted schools from continuing the mask mandates. We passed a bill that restricted employers from mandating the shot. One of the only states to do that in the country. So that's great. However, why stop at COVID? Like because they're not going to stop at COVID, right? So the the push has been. Let's lead on this issue. And the pushback we we always get from legislators, well, yeah, but we're kind of let's let's look at let's look at what other states have done. You know, anytime you're 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 looking at legislation here in the state of Tennessee, the first thing you're going to hear oftentimes from some of the most conservative legislators. Yeah, but but let's what have other states done? And I'm like, I don't care what other (laughs) states have done. What about what's good for Tennessee? How do we in Tennessee be a stalwart um, of, of liberty to push back against what these global let's let us show other states what to do? Well, that's where you you go back to the very top of our conversation with Ronald Reagan. He believed it. It wasn't. Oh, what are these? No, no, we are doing this because this is what's right. Exactly. This is what needs to be done. We need more of those people. Which brings to show us back up. to Ron DeSantis, right? The reason that Ron, De, the reason that Bill Lee tries to liken himself to Ron DeSantis is because Ron DeSantis is leading, right? The two could not be any more alike. But if you see the people around, people around Bill Lee want him to be like Ron DeSantis, and they try to arrange events. Gary and I were disappointed because we know that Ron DeSantis came here and and did an event with Governor Lee and basically Boo. lent his. He lent his credibility. Boo, Ron. <laughs> Boo. <clears throat> but Ron DeSantis showed how it could be done in Florida, just like Ronald Reagan showed how it could be done in California. Ronald Reagan did it in a blue state, and I know it wasn't as blue as it is today, but Ronald Reagan proved that it could be done. 
I don't want to get off Tennessee, but I do have a, a, a question for Jill about that. The big elephant in the room is, pardon the Republican <laughs> pun. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was, I didn't even intend that. That was great. <clears throat> the big elephant in the room is all of our discussion about DeSantis Trump presumes free elections. Correct. Is it possible for a Republican to win the presidency in the current state of affairs? I knew this. I swear I knew this was going to come <laughs> up. We've had this deep discussion. I love Kevin's take on this. Sorry, go ahead. I look at it and say, if if you truly believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, and I, I'm one of those people that say, I don't think it was all on the up and up in 2020. If they were willing to do that in 2020, why would they not be willing to Amen. do that in 2024? my language. If they hated him that much, right? Because I think 2016 was a surprise to them. Yeah. They didn't think that they had to play all these games and do all these things. Well, they were playing them. They were. But, but not, they but weren't not far the, enough ahead. At yeah. the level that it <clears throat> needed to be. Yes. Correct. I, I'm totally with you on that. So it, it, I believe that they will up it even further. If if Trump is the candidate, they will stop at, at nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. in nothing. 2024. If Ron DeSantis is the guy... Maybe he is able to put together a coalition that is big enough to overcome. That's a question. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But you have a fighting chance at doing it where if it's Donald Trump, there is no way that these people that went through all that trouble in 2020, they're not just going to sit at home and just go, hey, you beat us this time. Congratulations. So, so, so go ahead, Kevin, and tell Jill what, what you Well, believe. I actually have a, a related question first. Oh, okay. So who do, you, who do you think is going to be the Democratic nominee then? It's a great question. I don't really think it's going to be Joe Biden. Yeah, it's Biden or Newsom. I was going to say, yeah, I, I would guess gonna be Gavin, Gavin Newsom. Newsom would be my answer right now, even though he's not in it yet. But if I had to put money on it today, it would be Gavin Newsom. I, I did see an, a, a news article cross my feed that yet again, Hillary is possibly. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be Hillary. Come on. I can I can feel pretty confident that it's not yeah. going to be Hillary because she doesn't have enough friends in her own on her own side. But and that's why I think. Uh, for other reasons too, but I'll focus just on this, especially with someone um, at Gavin Newsom's. As much as we hate Gavin Newsom's policies and his smugness and everything he's done to destroy liberty and national security, um, there is an element of the left that will go gaga over Gavin Newsom because he's ex- he's exactly my age. He and I share the same birthday, October tenth, nineteen sixty seven which I find interesting, couldn't be more apart, but there's something about him that will be way easier. So they won't, you won't have these um, Joe Biden empty rallies where people are, you know, where, where it strains the limits of credulity about could this guy really They'll win? be popular. <clears throat> right? So Gavin Newsom will be popular enough that whatever they do, cheating or otherwise, it will be more um, plausible that he won. Absolutely. And you look at the the fact that Joe Biden was able to win in COVID and just staying in the basement the entire time. And, oh, well, it's COVID. We have to make sure that we have all the mail-in ballots. Okay, that that's step number one is can you make sure, you know, throughout state by state, getting more people to vote in person on Election Day. Gary and I have talked about this before. That's the way the country needs to go. Paper ballots in person, day of. Stop Hand, the cheating. Handmark yes. paper ballots. Let's go. <clears throat> Come on. Uh, but we can't get there unless we, we have someone like Ron DeSantis in office. So it's a catch-22, isn't it? To be able to get <clears throat> the leadership. Excuse me. You have to go through the current <laughs> system to get the people in office yeah. that would be willing to change, change the, the system. system. So 
Mm, I, I mean, obviously, I'm not sure how to do that. I'm hoping beyond hope that it is the case that if it were up to mere popularity and a fair election system, there wouldn't even be a question that Ron DeSantis would win the presidency. There's there's no question. Look at all the people that left California and to go to Florida. Yeah. And look at all the people that voted for Trump and he's still, quote unquote, lost. Right. And I, and I Gary, I don't have to add anything because Jill said exactly what I've been saying. If they did it to Trump in 2020, why would they stop there if it worked effectively mm-hmm. and the media supported them and the courts supported them and didn't look at this? Now, maybe, maybe the difference, I don't know, I'm putting my, my little hope leaf out here, but maybe the difference is if DeSantis would challenge it at the courts, there wouldn't be the personal animus against the DeSantis that there is against Trump. Well, even, even beyond, though, tw- 2020, I mean, look at, look, two things. Number one, how in the hell does a state elect John Fetterman? They don't. Yeah, that's that they was not don't. a legitimate election. No, they don't. By the way, thanks for wearing a hoodie while everybody around mm-hmm. you is in suits. Right. Really appreciate, you know, the level of decor that we have yes, over there. Yes, thank you for bringing that so up. So num- number one, no one elects that guy. But it's Pennsylvania. Num- number <laughs> number two, look at Arizona. Look at Maricopa mm-hmm. County with, uh, with Cary Lake. I mean, you... you even two years later, you still have these same things going on. I, I I will tell you, having now been past the 2022 elections and seeing what happened in Maricopa, I'm I'm closer more to, to what you've been saying. And how can you ever again have a Republican in the White House, you know, with this level of a commitment to fraudulent elections right. and the lack of will in the court? To check it, you know, yep. when when you have the Supreme Court saying that you don't and, have and an entire state, sixteen states, whatever it was, led by Texas, doesn't have standing to challenge a federal election, uh, it's crazy. So, and in, and in that case, I'll, I'll get, I guess we'll, we'll run out of time. Let's get some closing thoughts from from you, Jill, in Tennessee. I'll just tell you, for me personally, like I, I've said this a lot of times from the stage when I'm speaking. I and I don't want to. It's not that I don't care. Not concerned with what happens in the White House. It's just, especially having been through COVID and seeing how much local politics really do come into play into what's happening in our schools and our everyday lives, whether or not we're wearing masks, whatever the things may be. My, my main focus is, I mean, if I could build a wall around the state of Tennessee, I would. <laughs> you know, let I I don't. I don't care what California's doing. I don't care what New York's doing. I don't want to control what they're doing, uh, nor can we, nor should we. But we really can control how we're living our lives here in the state of Tennessee under this beautiful system of federalism if we have the men and women uh, in the seats with the will to do it. And that that's my mission. That's my goal. I'm glad you're here in Tennessee. Some just some thoughts on that and what you're seeing as we close after COVID, I think everybody has a newfound respect for states rights. I think that is something that is in vogue right now. And people are really pushing in Tennessee. We would like it to be bold red and we, you know, pink, not pink, no pale pastels, but you know, you have the ability that, that it is something that on a state and local level, you can control what happens and you you know the the voter the electorate just has to go out there and say we demand better from you right that they answer to us get yourselves together you know call gary up get out to rallies make sure that they know 
you know, over there in in Nashville that you do not want red flag laws. Let it be known what you want here in the state of Tennessee as a whole in your community. And, you know, you, you see different things going on in the education system and everything that matters in your life is right there at your local level of government. That's a that's a great closing thought. I, I, when as you were saying that, I was going around in my head. I think I'm, I'm giving Governor DeSantis unsolicited, probably absolutely unwanted and unneeded advice from <laughs> from the Freedom Matters podcast. But man, I, I can for me personally, someone running as the president of the United States that would be willing to platform on states' rights, mm-hmm. you know, because we talk about, we say limited government, yet when I hear a president, which, you know, you would expect them to, I hear them talk about all of the things that that they're going to do, you know, and they're going to do this and do that, all the things the federal government's going to do for you and all the things I'm going to do in the federal government to help make your life better. But but really, in, a, in an ideal world, constitutionally, the message should be Here's how many things I'm going to make sure the federal government doesn't do anymore. Here are the things we're going to cut. And here's here are the, the rights that we are going to relinquish back to the states. I think post-COVID again, that is a that is a winning message and something that that so many are on board with now. And and I still, even to this day, now we have a presidential election coming. You know, four years now post the beginning of this this planned exercise that we went through. I think it would be really incredible to hear statements like that from a presidential candidate. I haven't heard them yet. Maybe I just haven't. Maybe maybe I missed it. I just haven't heard them yet. That is the dream, right? Is is somebody going up there and saying that states rights is what is going to be pushed back on to the people and, and just say, hey, take it over for yourselves. Do what you want to do. But I love the the name of the podcast. Freedom Matters. Um, because when I left sports TV and people have asked me, why would you ever do that? Like that's it, it is fun. It's so fun being on the sidelines of college football games and mm-hmm. the band is playing, the Especially teams are running a Penn out. State game. Uh, I mean, that's okay too. The whiteouts are are pretty cool. Thank you. I'll give you that. But I, I left sports TV because I believe that freedom matters. That is that is absolutely Wait, why. Okay, Mr. Producer, we gotta we gotta cut that, right? So we can have that every week. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll tag I that to the end. I left sports TV because freedom, freedom matters. matters. Yeah. That's, That's that is why I left, and because I, we're gonna I, make I you just a said, T-shirt. There's there are so many things that I know. There are so many things that God has put on my heart, and I said, why do I know these things? Why do I talk to people about these things? And yet I'm still doing sports. It was just time I felt called to to move over and and get into this, and and I think that Tennessee is a perfect place to do so. Amen. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.